Get ready to have your sweet tooth satisfied as we join Dave and his brother Jim in their conversation about the significance of the tabernacle in the last episode of our series about dwelling in the midst of God. Okay, hey. So, that's my key. That's my go-to. So. So. Well, here we are. Um, I am here today with my brother Jim. Hello. The older, wiser. More haired version. More haired. <laughs> Except on the face. Nobody knows, though, because I always wear a hat. Ah, so. Ruined that for you. <laughs> are you talking about your chest? What yes. do you mean, except on the face? And the back. Uh we're here. Uh, we're in the middle of these uh, the series, dwelling in your midst. And we, I thought, you know, I was thinking about what can I do for a dessert on this one. And I just thought, you know, when I think about the tabernacle, the temple, the place, like the specific space in the specific place, um, I'm just taken back to the time I spent. Yeah. In Israel. And so I was thinking, that's a really good, I think that would be a really good dessert to say, okay, we've been, so I've been on two trips to Israel. He has been on two trips to Israel, and we went together on one of those. Yeah. So my second trip, his first trip, we were together on yeah. a trips on some tours to Israel, and they were very impactful to my life. To your life. They changed Absolutely. everything. Changed it. Yeah. <laughs> it literally changed our our entire existence. And so, that of our children and generations to come. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Um, yep. Unless the Messiah decides to come. But so why don't we just start with you just kind of telling us who you are and let us know more than just Dave's brother. I'm Dave's brother. <laughs> <laughs> also a fellow listener of the podcast I uh, don't miss haven't missed any of them just really appreciate what you and the guys do uh, I think I've called you in tears a couple of times um, for for how bad, how bad it was no for the content <laughs> it's good so I'm, I'm honored to be here yeah so Dave's brother I live in, in Maryland as, as we mentioned um, my day job, just uh, I, I oversee a portfolio of federal contracts. Uh, so exciting. <laughs> exciting. I just oversee a portfolio of federal <laughs> contracts. Yeah, just no uh, stress there. That's uh, no, no big it's, deal. No big it's deal. good. God, God has blessed, uh, blessed me with the career path in that uh, way. Uh, so basically, just work with people all the time. But uh, love to get into the scripture, love to hang out with you for at least a few hours, um, and love to talk about- A few uh, hours? Yeah, after oh, that, you're it's hanging like... out with me for a few hours? <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying like this episode was, I'd love to hang out with you all for a few no, hours. No, no, I can handle a few <laughs> hours of you, and then it's time for, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Time for a uh, but also love to like take the scripture, talk about it with you, <laughs> just banging on the table, messing up the audio, talk about it with you, and even just in the car as we've been- uh, driving, just unpacking so many things. Uh, love to do that. So happy to be here. Yeah, and the heart of me, like saying, "Hey, man, I should really do this podcast." Is all those conversations like we did in the car? And I wish that it was like. Hopefully, we can capture the spontaneity of just the conversation because that's what we're going for. But as I picked him up at the airport and we've driven around to get the stuff we need and setting stuff up, we've just been talking about it, and it's just so crazy. Like I wish that we could capture that, and hopefully, we can. 
try to, and that, you know, every time we talk about something, new things come out, and yeah. so, and the Holy Spirit's leading us today, so I'm excited. Maybe I'm really should, excited. Should, let's uh, let's talk about our trip. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, I know for me, like, I think the big one of the biggest like whoa uh, things was the size of the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, yeah. So we show up. They're like, hey, we're going to this kibbutz. It's like a hotel operated by a community of people yeah. in Israel um, on the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Gennesaret. Yeah. And you, I was just overwhelmed. Like, you can see across the whole... It's like I can see the other side. It's like right there. It's, it's kind of like thinking about the disciples being on the sea and the wind and the waves. I'm kind of picturing like Lake Michigan, you know, and these huge, massive waves. Yeah. Granted, it might have been bigger... 2,000 years ago, like the water sources were probably more, less used up up, upstream, you know? Yeah. But. Well, but you've got Tiberius right there on the water and even Capernaum. If it would have come up too much, those would have been underwater. So maybe not. So it's just, it's, I'm like, it's just not what I pictured. I I resonate with that. I validate that because everywhere was like, wow, this is not. What I had in my head, even I'm thinking of <laughs> towards the end of the trip. I mean, you go so many places, and every place is just like, "Oh wow, this is that's where Samson tied the foxtails together." Mm-hmm. Like, what? That's where the ark came from the Philistines. Just everywhere is like that. Uh, but I remember even like the last. And I think those was, two places were the same. Place. And they were the same place. <laughs> I'm just yeah, they were the same place, and that's mind-boggling. They. Uh, I don't tell something. Bet Shemesh. Bet Shemesh. Yeah, that's right. But uh, I don't even know where I was going. You distracted me so much. Even at the end of the... Oh, yes. At the end, uh, we stop at a place and, you know, we get out and we, we hike to some spot and there's teaching. And then in the midst of the teaching, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is Mount Carmel. This is where <laughs> Elijah was. Oh, wait a minute. That's like where the... Be- that's the... Valley of Megiddo, like all of that, where Armageddon takes place. You just don't even realize every place you're at is significant. Is significant, and it's not. It's not like I thought it would be. Yeah, you know. I think Mount Carmel was smaller than I pictured. I know. I pictured like hiking, climbing up more height, and it's more like a mid-sized hill. Yeah. Yeah, but but I guess that worked out well when he sent the guys down, when Elijah sent them down to get the buckets of water. To get water. It was a little easier for him. Yeah, but just to be there and just yeah. stand on that spot and know. I mean, some places in Israel, if, if you ever go, which highly so recommend, go. go. Everyone should go. Um, some places are commercialized. and like, I don't think that's really where, <laughs> where that thing happened. Um so, so it's not everywhere, but a lot of the really ancient, and you know those places, the really ancient places, it's just amazing to be in Beersheba where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all went. Whether the well is the right well, there's mm-hmm. a well there. Whether mm-hmm. that's the well they actually dug or not, doesn't matter. They were right here in yeah. this area. Yeah. All three of the patriarchs. Uh, and to look across the the land, which also could have been different you know, several thousand years ago, but but to look across that land and just picture, wow, this is where they were setting up their tents. And like the Valley of Elah where David and Goliath fought. Like yeah. that's one of the most least 
contested sites. It's like everybody agrees. Like this is it. This is the valley. There's a there's a brook that goes through there. You walk through it. I don't know if I'm sure the Israeli antiquity authorities have to haul rocks, <laughs> dumping in rocks to fill it because every tourist is like, take a rock from no, the no. Wa- from take the five wadi, smooth stones from the same wadi <laughs> that David took rocks from. But you know, I mean, you're still. It's like. This was right here. This yeah, is here. This is here. Definitely the valley is still there. Yeah. Like Israelites and the Philistines, it's crazy. You know, I, uh, on the second trip, um, my, I took our kids, you know, the older kids. And one of my, my oldest son's name is Nehemiah. And in that wadi, in that valley, when we were doing that same thing and going to get the rocks, there was a big rock and somebody had sprayed graffiti on the rock uh-huh. and was Nehemiah. And he's like, this is the only place in the world I'll see my name in graffiti. graffiti on a rock. In the Valley of Elah, maybe God was giving him a sign. Yeah, it could be. It Pick could up be. your stone, boy, and throw it. Find some giants. But yeah, even that, I mean, it's, it, when you're there, it makes sense, but it's not like I pictured. And I think that's an important experience to have is being in the land, seeing how compressed the whole thing is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we'll talk about Jerusalem uh, a little bit later on, but just even in like Jerusalem with the Arabs and the the Jew Orthodox Jewish or Jewish people and the Greek Orthodox and just the smashing together of the people's streets apart mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all the different religious things happening there. It's it's everything is compressed. Everything is closer and smaller. And older, um, yeah. That, that that reminds me of. So I went twice, two years. The first year I went with a Christian tour company, um, and we were all church people. We went. Um, the second year I went with was with a group of Messianic Jewish people. So Jewish people who believed that Jesus is the Messiah. However, they were Orthodox. Messianic Jewish people. Yeah. So confusing. they were, yeah, it's confusing. Look, Google it. You can Google it. Um, so they looked like observant Jewish people. So the kippahs, the seat seats, mm, yeah. you can figure out what that is too if you want. Um, and we went, both trips went up onto the Temple Mount. Okay, so the first year, we were tourists, and we went up on the Temple Mount, and we're walking around up by the Dome of the Rock, which is the big gold. Any picture you see of Jerusalem, yeah. the big gold dome. It's a so the Muslim community, the Arab community, maintains control of the Temple Mount, and what we know as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall is just the foundation of the Temple Mount. So Israel maintains control of the Western Wall, but the Arabs, Palestinians, maintain control of the Temple Mount. Okay, so when you go up there, like Jews aren't, Jewish people aren't allowed to pray up there. It's against the law. And so they've got like soldiers up there to make sure you're not doing that. So the first year we go up, it's like, we go up, we're just walking wherever we want, going all around. There's a bunch of little kids with postcards, they're like, hey, postcard, you want a postcards? Postcards, and they've got like a pack of six together with all the pictures of the Dome of the Rock and all that, and they're super friendly. I'll take your picture. Let me take your picture. Uh, the second year, so I was just a bunch of American Christians walking around the Temple Mount. 
The second year I go, um, and we had the the guy who led the trip had gotten Heim Richman, which is just insane that I was up there with Heim Richman. Yeah, he's the head of the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute is a organization in Israel that is they've taken it upon themselves to prepare for the building of the third temple. So they have the menorah, they have the priestly garments, they're preparing. And so he's like, he knows everything, right? So this time when we go up, before we can go up there, we have to promise, we have to basically sign a, I don't remember, my memory's not great about all the details, (laughs) but I know that we were told very forcefully, you are not allowed to stop and pray. Here is an armed soldier who is going to walk with us all around the Temple Mount, right? The Heimrichman was not about to lead us up to the place where the temple used to stand because it's a holy Holy place. And you can't go in there unclean. There's a bunch of stuff about a red heifer, which we may or may never get to in this podcast, (laughs) the whole testament. There's too much to cover. It's valuable, though. Anyway, so we're not clean, so we can't even go up there. So we basically just walked around the perimeter of the Temple Mount, and he showed us stuff. But those those same little kids were up there, and this time, when they saw us coming, they bent down and picked up rocks yeah. to throw at us, and the armed guard had to basically shoo them away. And so that's something also we don't, understand the angst the tension the tension the tension that exists yeah in the land yeah which is also absolutely crazy because it's just rocks yeah <laughs> yeah it's just rocks there's nothing there to fight over no no i mean the sea of galilee is kind of nice but yeah but it's not worth of fighting over so yeah that's a good point because when you're there and you see actually see the land and there is great value in like certainly in Israel's intellectual uh, what they're contributing to the world but in terms of natural resources that are mm-hmm. worth uh, nations getting in uproar over there's nothing there so the only thing that is of value worth fighting for picking up rocks over is spiritual yeah. is the religious aspect of it yeah and you see that on full display even in the the it's hard to it's hard to get words around the distinctions of some of this, but like we'll say Christian, Jewish, and Muslim or, or Arab part, even just in the old city of Jerusalem, is subdivided it's into subdivided. parts. Everybody got a section. It's crazy. It's crazy, but that it is that compact nature. Uh, and I remember too on our trip walking, and when we would pass, like every group we passed had disdain for us. Uh, the, it, when we were with the mixed group in this in oh, your second the, year, uh, we were even we were walking like if we w- walked past the Greek Orthodox or whatever, they shook their head at us. I remember the Orthodox Jewish men walking by, ye- yelling something in Hebrew at, at at one of the Davids who was the had to keep on the seat. We we didn't. Um, and then um, the, the Arabs in the same way, the Muslims in the same way, you know, watching out for them when we were all out together just because the there was a Jewish person or Orthodox observant person with, with us. us. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. But, you know, one of, one of the other really amazing things just talking about in terms of the geography is the difference in 
when you land in, in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, which is on the ocean side or the Mediterranean side, and you come in, it's beautiful beaches, and it's, you know, it looks like an American city, that part mm -hmm. of the country, into Jerusalem where, by law, everything has to be built with, built with Ju Jerusalem limestone, so it just looks ancient, even though it's modern, down to, like you were saying, in the Negev or, or down into the desert lands, um, down to the Dead Sea, where it's just dead. It's, it, it looks like Arizona or New Mexico in the U.S. and up to Dan, where it's... It's like tropical. tropical. Yeah, so we went like in Jerusalem, which is, it looks old, but it's modern. Yeah. Um, a hour and a half, or I don't remember. I'm making numbers up right now. A short amount of time for what you would think. We drove down to the Dead Sea, and we walk out of the bus, and it's like... The, the heaters in Walmart in the winter and the little vestibule between the things, it's like just only heaters, just blowing. It's so hot. Yeah. It's like 106 degrees or something at night, and it's just like slams. We went in July. Mm. Slams us in our face hot. And then like a few days later, we're up in Dan, which is at, in the northern part, and you're walking through – this like beautiful lush, lush. There's a river that goes through, and <laughs> they got a beautiful. walkway, and it feels very tropical, yeah. like rainforesty. Yeah, it's yeah. In, it's and it's all a few hours from yeah. it, from everything. Yeah, you can you can drive across any direction in a day, uh, across the whole country. Which also, when you're there and you realize, because you think of Israel and you think of the world. <laughs> Conflict and how much right. the world cares about this small, small piece of land. When you get there, you realize, wow, this really is a small piece of land. It's smaller than Illinois, yeah. where I live. It's crazy, but there's there's so many there's so many. One of the things that stands out about being there is just like this is the place. I mean, we talked a little bit about Mount Carmel and like, well, this is where Elijah was. But I, you know, one that stood out to me too was uh, En Gedi. And Getty is uh, just up from the the Dead Sea, um, where there's a natural spring, and so you, you when you get there, it's all rock and dust and dirt, except for in this little in this little wadi where the spring is flowing, and there's several pools and waterfalls, and it's a it's a popular place to come get in the water and you know, stand in the waterfalls. I got a great mm -hmm. picture of our dad like underneath the waterfall, just getting baptized in the waterfall. Um, but it, it's just, this, it's also a beautiful place. There's lush trees and the, these little goats can climb up on the top of these short trees. Yeah, they're up in the, the goats are in the trees. And Eating the like, leaves. what is going on right now? <laughs> yeah, how's that possible? Uh, but you're there and the reason you're there, yes, it's beautiful in the waters and all that, but this is where David hid. This was one of the refuges that David had. And it is where Saul came to look for David and in one of the caves, right? Yeah, and you're standing there, you look up and there's just caves all around. Like they could, any of these caves could be the cave that David was in, hiding from Saul who came in and David had the opportunity to kill him. To kill him and he didn't. That's worthy of teaching there about the that yeah. but some other time footnote yep. that one. Yeah, so being there and just imagining David in this place, David sitting in these waters with his mighty men and how refreshing that would have been and 
you see all these psalms come to life in terms of shepherd and the valleys and the wilderness and the springs of water. You were like a tree root, you know, planted by springs of water and what that means in that place where there are trees and the goats are in the trees, but over there there are no trees because there is no water and they're not rooted in that. Just all of scripture making sense. Also, like one of the things that, I I think was drawing to my heart was just um, and kind of tying into our last our entree episode, um, which if you haven't watched it, you should go back and listen or watch that one uh, first. <laughs> We're halfway in. We're almost done. Go back before you start this one. I'm gonna put that in the middle. <laughs> um, is that you know it's like the the story of humanity is like God's desire to dwell with His people and the people being like nah. I'm good. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this way. And they end up eventually keep going east, 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 away from God, away from God. And they end up being forced into Egypt and into bondage. And one of the things that God says when he talks about, I'm going to take you to the land. And it's like, it's not like the land here in Egypt Mm -hmm. where there's this massive water source and there's these man-made aqueducts that feed the, like you in Egypt, you determine your crops because of the effort that you put in to feed, to water source it. And Israel, it's like, this is where my eyes are and I cause it to rain. Mm. I ca- like you are taken away from... So I was watching this, uh, I was watching this video of this guy talking about Egypt um, it's an archaeological thing on Right Now Media. <clears throat> and so he's shooting the video, and he's got the people out in the wilderness, just dry, barren rocks and dirt wilderness, and he's there, and the camera's pointing at him, and you get the angle of him, you get the angle of the people on the rocks, and he's talking about it. And then he says, but I, God does so much with his people in the wilderness, so much. And then he says, but I want you to see something. And the camera pans. And all of a sudden you see it's like a drawn line of lushness as it gets close to the Nile. It's like green, 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 green. And then it's like it stops instantly. You can get on Google Earth and you can see this this drastic line because I was like, that can't be true. And I got on there to, on the map to see. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, this is crazy. Kids, look at this. It's like, it's like they just ch- chopped it off and said wilderness from here on out. And it's like, and so it's, it's that thing God's saying, okay, I want to take you somewhere where you have to be completely reliant mm-hmm. on who I am and what I promised you and the provision that I give you because that's what my desire is. I want to dwell with you, but in doing so, you got to trust me. Yeah. Yeah, and rely on me. Yeah. Yeah. So that reminds me of uh, in Ezekiel's prophecy where the water starts coming out of the the temple, and as it goes out of Jerusalem, it just gets broader and broader and broader, and every kind of fish, uh, as many as in the Mediterranean, I think it calls her the sea, maybe it just says, is in this river, and then these trees growing along it that they eat from. So it... God's bounty. Yeah, and it goes down to the... You were going to say it. Dang it, all this do Go ahead. No, I want you to finish it. I don't want to. It goes down to the Dead Sea and renews renews the Dead Sea, and so it's filled with fish as well. So it's the the opposite of that. 
man-making these mm-hmm. aqueducts and watering mm-hmm. the land of Egypt mm-hmm. and God providing that provision, uh, to mm-hmm. your point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which also goes back to the beginning of Genesis because out of the Eden uh, came the rivers. It's mm. good stuff. Mm. And, you know, so I think we're going to pull out a couple of scriptures maybe uh, yeah. about Israel. And I got, I got one here, and I know you've got one you're going to read too. Uh, but one of the things that's important for us to understand, and you know, sometimes, why do we? Why does it matter? And I'm with Israel, kind of things, or wh- why does that matter? And I think this is mostly known and understood by those of us um, that read the Bible uh, and confess to be believers, and in, in whatever definition or, or group you fall into within that. Uh, I don't know how to say that. I'm trying to. I don't know the terms of some of this thing, but. Um, that Israel is is not is a country and and is something that is to be supported. And America, as you know, is, is has historically been very supportive of the land and the people of Israel with dollars and and protection and military might and and all of these things. And that's well and good. But there's there's a deeper there's a deeper rooting of Israel as a place on the planet that has nothing to do with the government of Israel or or the United States has nothing to do with um, some of the some of the str- struggles that happen within the UN or anywhere else Israel is important in the planet and matters because it matters to God hmm. and you know when you're there the compressed nature of the land uh, certainly, you know, standing on the ground where such amazing things have occurred, sitting on the Sea of Galilee. I just remember on um, both trips going out on the little dock at night on the Sea of Galilee and Tiberius is lit up on the country, you know, on the hill and the side. And it's just beautiful. And you're there and you hear the water because it does kind of lap up, uh, not waves, but just like lapping up on the on the stone jetty where this where this bench is. And you think about like, man, the disciples were out on that thing at night when Jesus came walking out on this water at, at, in this place, somewhere out. I can see the whole thing almost. <laughs> somewhere here, he, he walked on this water. And that, so there's that deep, wow, of the scripture, but you feel. You do, you feel it. You feel something is different about this land and this place. And I think part of that, I don't know where my glasses are. I'm going to try to read this blurry. Part of that is, you know, even in just Psalm 132. (laughs) This is awkward. We are aging, brother. (laughs) What do you got going on here? I can't even. It's worse. (laughs) I'm the older brother, but you got the worst eyes, so I'm going to go with it. I guess so. So this is in Psalm 132. Uh, It says, for the Lord has chosen Zion, which is... Jerusalem and in Israel. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. You know, so when you hear words like this in the scripture of like, 
this is my, this is where I will be. I have desired it. And I think in, you know, second Chronicles that you were going to, we'll talk about, or you were going to talk about, um, also has the same idea. So over and over in scriptures, there's this God speaking about Israel, the land of Israel and the place of Jerusalem itself. You know, he, he's, he tells Moses and he, in, only do this in the place where I will set my name. You know, David is trying to stop the plague and he stops at a specific threshing floor. Uh, and, and all of that is timed and planned because this is where God has his eyes set. This is where he has his footstool. This is where he calls his dwelling. Uh, it says his eyes are always on Jerusalem. That's not... That's big. That's not something to take lightly. That's no, not that's something big. to dismiss. And it's not something that was then and it's been replaced now. Because even in Ezekiel, you know, which is one of the passages we've read before and um, it, and we'll be reading more in future episodes, it's this is going to happen and I will choose this place to dwell forever. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, in all the prophecy, this is where Jesus will return. This is where he will reign. This is where all the nations will come to learn. This is where God's throne will be set up on earth. It, it's this place. And so when you're there, I mean, it's, it's a veiled, dusty, you know, muddy version of that, now, yeah. you know, now, because Jesus isn't sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, but you still feel feel buried right beneath the surface, just beneath the surface, the holiness of both Jerusalem and the land of Israel that cannot be felt or replaced anywhere else on earth. I think one of the one of the dramatic moments that I remember from our trip together um, was a day or two after you had arrived. We were still in Jerusalem. It was late at night, and one of one of the guys that were with us was like, "Hey, let's go down to the wall. Let's go down to the wall." And we're intro. Both of us are like introverts. We don't like if we go through the drive-through and they. I don't know about you. If I go through the <laughs> yeah. drive-thru and they put onions on my thing Not that I don't ordered. want onions, I'm, I'm going to eat, eat it or I'm going to throw it away. <laughs> and I'll go, you know... I'm just not, I'm not going to cause conflict. It's 1030 at night in Jerusalem and there are... Well, for, I mean, for me too, like, yeah, I think it's where you're going. Like the first night we're there and then we slept with our windows open, which was awesome, the city of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. But then we get awakened with the Muslim call to prayer. I mean, in our... In our um, hotel, if you went out a certain way, like that was all Arab. And, and if you went out another way, that was all 
Jewish, and so it's like you got to go out the right exit. I, I personally was like, first trip there, you don't know. You see, there's bombings in the past. You, right. you get you this idea know. in your yeah. head of, I was afraid. Is what I'm trying to get at. Like, I don't want to walk two miles or whatever it was to get to the wall in the at nighttime. Nobody knows we're going. Yes. Like, what? No. I yeah, need to ask the- my mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> They would have said no. Um, yeah, so the guy was very persuasive, and we're like, okay, okay, all right. Um, we don't want everybody to think we're sissies. I guess we'll go. Uh, so we make our way down there, and it just happened to be the final hours. Actually, I think it had, it ended at sunset, but this of um, Simchat Torah, the joy mm-hmm. of the scriptures. It's one. Of, it's the last day, the eighth day added on to the Feast of Sukkot, at the end, and the tradition is that you roll back. So we've read through the scroll, uh, the the Torah scroll, all the way through, and this day we roll it all the way back, and it's a celebration of the words of God and the power of the scriptures. And so we show up at the wall. Mm-hmm. It's 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night mm-hmm. now. It's three, <laughs> one, two, three, American boys. I think we're the only ones. One, the the guy who was persuading us to go down there was um, is Jewish, right? And he was dressed in Jewish rabbi clothes, black and white. So he's we got a rabbi, three Americans, tourists, (laughs) and like nine, eight, nine, maybe ten. They had to have been 10, right? Because they were doing the dance. Minion. Did they have a minion? Uh, there were lots of minions going on there, but I you don't know, know where you're going. I thought there at. was only one group of people there dancing. No, there was a... A couple? Remember we say it's memory? There, My <laughs> there were hundreds of people, hundreds ah, of guys there. No way. There was, no, no, no. Over on the side, I keep hitting this... All right, we may be disagreeing. This is why you don't trust witness Here's testimony. Here's the deal. Here's what I they know. They were calling us over. If he's that's saying that's the way it was, then that's true. <laughs> and what I remember is not true, so... <laughs> there were... I remember... There were multiple groups. They would so a minion is where you get ten men in in Orthodox Judea, Jewish tradition to to say certain prayers. You need to have ten men, and there's tons of reasons why they say that in the scripture. We won't unpack, but so there are groups of ten, and where there were people that didn't have ten, they were calling us over. I think we that's to the memory the that ten. to complete. And the they ten. all have like the Torah scrolls, which are these massive things covered in these highly decorative things, and they're dancing they're around dancing. in a circle, singing, oh. and just just celebrating Joy. the gift of the Torah. Right. And we're just like, Nope, yeah, nope. nope. He's looking at us. We're looking around like us. Mm. And he calling us in Hebrew. Like, oh, we don't, don't even know. I don't know what we're doing. I'm new. I don't know what to do. I, I remember I, when I came home and told others, I, I would describe it as like, I felt like I was looking in someone's bedroom window. Mm. Like I, this, I should not be here. I, sh- I, I don't feel like I, I am uh, I, just like I'm unworthy to be at this place at this time with these people yeah. and what's happening. It's, it's part of that. I felt whatever you want to think about how Jew, Judaism observes and, and what their beliefs in God and all that, it, that, that was washed away in that moment for, I, I don't feel 
I don't feel holy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like I'm in a place that I could come at the same level of what you're doing. I don't know enough. I don't understand enough. And it was true. I mean, coming home from that, that was a pivotal moment. There's a bigger one that I, I'm excited to talk about with you, with you, but that was a pivotal moment for coming home. Like the way these people love the scripture, hmm. the love they have for that scripture that night and just seeing the community Mm-hmm. And their connectedness and their joy. And they're, they're like, hey, j- come on. Come in. Join us. Come in. Join us. Ugh, I, didn't t- I don't know if I've told you this. My second time we walked down to the wall, it was not that kind of experience. It was last night and just watching, at, you know, that upper mm-hmm. area. We didn't go down. to. We'd already gone down to the wall, so we're upper area. Right down below was two young guys, 22 maybe, just talking, you know, orthodox guys with the black grounds and all that, just talking. And the one guy just like peered up a couple of times and we're just silent. It's the last night in Israel. This is the place you want to be last night, just watching all the praying and happening at the wall. And I see him walk off. I'm like, oh man, he's going to come back here. Sure enough, he came, he was coming out. I was like, yeah, he's going to come over here. And he came over and he's like, how are you? Broken English, you know, and trying to talk, where are you from? So where I was from? And he knew family in Baltimore or whatever. And then he's like, come with me, come with me. We'll go down. Everyone can pray. Everyone, come on, I'll show you. Come with down, come down. And I think I was so, again, it's like there's these moments of, that's probably was more fear than like, I don't feel like I could go. Um, but I was like, no, no, I already prayed. <laughs> I already prayed. I'm good. <laughs> We're having a good time. <laughs> already, already. Yeah, you should, you should send that to him. Uh, already, already, already went down, and he tried again. And I'm like, no, no, no. And he went down. I have regretted that to this day, because I, I don't know what would have unfolded going down with this man, um, down to the wall. Uh, but again, it's, I, I don't know. I don't think we can articulate it when you're when you're there and you see what you see the people the prayers jammed into the crevices we had a a guy from our congregation was going over this summer and everybody was wrote prayers and put them in a ziploc bag so just just for some context the western wall the place we're talking about the wailing wall and you you probably have heard of it or you could google it um is this is this place it's one of the most holy places in in jerusalem and it, it's made up of these massive stones. I don't know how high it is. 60 feet. 60 feet or so um, up. And people come down and they pray. And there's lots of really cool art and pictures of people that have prayed there. Some, some famous people have gone to this Western Wall. Um, and it's the part down below that um, the Jewish people are allowed to go to. And then up on the Temple Mount is where the Muslim Dome of the Rock and all of that is. And so the, so the prayer at this place, at, at the wall, and just being there. Um, it moves you. It moves you. It moves you. In fact, like there's a website, um, several websites they have, especially nowadays, they have webcams that just point on the wall. Mm-hmm. And so I find myself like on all the holidays and you have to, some of them are shut down on holy days because they don't no just run, they don't run it, but there are other people that don't care. Um, and you can just, I, I, I open up the computer and I look at the wall and I just sit there for hours, you know, if without, yeah. if, if everybody's asleep in the house or whatever, <laughs> and just turn on the noise and just, um, it's like, 
The eyes of the Lord are on it all the time. And when I'm when we are there, it's that it's an unexplainable feeling of connection to God. Yeah. And it reminds me like when I was chatting with Stephanie, my wife, about all this, she's like, Okay, but you know, what what does it matter? What is mm. this what does the tabernacle matter? What does the temple matter? Why does that what is this matter to us right now. So I wanted to look at this scripture in Second Chronicles that it's like, this is why, I think. She said, why does it matter? I think this is why. So Solomon has just dedicated the temple and he's built this bronze platform and he's kneeling down on it and he makes this plea, makes this prayer before God. And um, we're going to pick up about halfway into this. He says, oh Lord, my God, Listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, Mm -hmm. the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place, and listen to the pleas of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive." If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. If your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you and they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave them and to their fathers. Mm -hmm. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward this house, then Hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind, that they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner Mm. who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, That's Passover language, just Mm -hmm. so you know. Mm -hmm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples on the earth may know your name and fear you, Mm -hmm. as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemies by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you toward this city that you have chosen and the house that I built for your name, then hear from heaven 
their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If, if they sin against you, for just there's keeps, no one who does not sin. Yeah, it just keeps going. Yeah, keep going. And you are angry with mm -hmm. them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Mm -hmm. Yet, if they turn their heart in the land to which you have, they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers of this place. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Mm. <laughs> this is why it matters. And I, I don't know if you noticed, I, I read it several times. It's a long passage. If you're not looking at it, it's hard to follow. But not once did Solomon say God is in this temple. Mm -hmm. but that he can hear from heaven mm -hmm. the, the desires and the prayers that are prayed toward this place. Mm -hmm. Why does it matter? Because the temple, the tabernacle, is the place that God says, okay, I deeply desire to dwell with my people. My people continue to move away from me, and I'm going to just keep giving them op an opportunity, a place where they can see this is where I'm at. This is how you find me. This is how you draw near to me. This is how you come into my presence. I'm right here. Yeah. Yeah. What I what I one of the things that stood out to me at the start of that. I mean, it's such a good passage. If go back and read it, like if this, if this, if yeah, this, yeah. if this, uh, is so good. But what's interesting? One of the things that's interesting is he builds that platform. Like I was, why would he build a platform? Like, okay, because the king, and he's be up above the people or whatever. But Solomon intentionally builds the platform, and then what he what does he do when he, he goes up on the platform and kneels down? Like in front of all the people, the king of the world is kneeling before the God of the universe. Like I, it's almost like the platform's not there so that everybody can hear what I'm going to say. It's not a stage. It's... To me, I got the image of seeing Solomon in all of his glory go up on this platform in front of all the people and everybody's just there with bated breath waiting to see like what's going to happen, what's he going to say? And he kneels. It's that submission, the power of man, the will of man, the might of man. He kneels on that platform and then he, he appeals to God. It's just so moving. And what I just as I was reading it just now, I'm not certain of this, but I'm pretty sure it's the exact same dimensions as the altar. That'd be interesting to see. It is, I think. Three by five by five. <laughs> I'm so tempted to pause and go find that no, out. I'm pretty sure. So, so let me just take a quick second. Let me just take a quick second here. Uh, so you heard I am, my day job is like contract stuff at the federal government. Dave's day job, some of you may know, is like contractor. That's why if he waves his hand, he's got bandages got all over his hand. Uh, but here's the thing, and this is the thing for all of you as we're talking about this. See what just happened? 
oh, I just had this thought of like, the, so why did Solomon build that? Why did he go on top of it? Five by five by three. And what Dave, is doing, what Dave is doing right here, the details in the scripture itself too, don't, they matter. When you read something and there's a dimension given, why is there a dimension given? What is it, does it connect to anything? Um, what you just did right there is what I love and that's what I think this, this podcast video, whatever, is, is really doing well is like helping people start to dig just a little bit. Like, don't, don't go past it. Stop and dig back. Go back and say, what? Solomon's up on a platform to kneel down? Why, why do you need a platform to kneel down? Oh, what about the sizes of the why platform? Why does it need to be? There's so much there that we don't... This just came right now just to us as, as we're doing it. So we haven't flushed it out yet, but there's something... There's some more there. It's... It's powerful. He's kneeling on the altar, see? Yeah. That, yeah, there's yeah. more. That, so do that. Do that when you read the scriptures. Do that. But I think, you know, one of the things we talked about too, and I don't want to steal your your your, uh, your I'm, I'm good. Go, your point on this section, what else is not mentioned? Oh, in yeah. See, I didn't want to take that. Go don't ahead. take it. No, I don't want to teach you. Never. We'll get to this in, in some more stuff, but notice he never mentions sacrifices. See, we, when we think about the temple, when we think about the tabernacle, we think about the blood and the guts and the and the gore and the archaic form of worship that's no longer needed or necessary. That's not in there. Because the temple, when he says, oh man, it's, okay, we're gonna get to that in a new, another episode down the road, but just, you gotta pay attention. The temple is not set up for a sacrificial system. Dwelling with God and hum- God's desire to dwell with his people is not based upon the sacrificial system. We have to have the sacrificial system because we sin and it's a broken relationship. And it's not even that because there's not even, we have to have the sacrificial system because of our uncleanness, which we will probably get to in the next entree about the separation of clean and unclean. Yeah. Um, so we'll hit on that a little more in that episode where we'll talk about why there's no sacrifices there. But when we think about temple, we think sacrifices. But when Solomon built it and dedicated it, not once did he mention a sacrifice, but he did mention about about 15 times, about 16 <laughs> Dr. Peppers. <laughs> he mentioned it when they pray, when, they, when pray. they pray, when they sin and when they pray, when they sin and when they pray, when they sin and when they pray. Yeah, and what's important is the prayer is directed. There's a location. There's a direction yeah. to the prayer. And the direction to the prayer is to this place. It's, it's that centering, that anchoring back on this specific physical location on the planet within the universe. Yeah. When they face here and pray, hear their prayer. Mm-hmm. So it's not just prayer that is prayed, Solomon's in the dedication is when they pray towards this place, even if they're in a faraway land, they're like, uh, which way is Jerusalem? It's that way. I'm going to pray that way because in Solomon's dedication and God's acceptance of Solomon's prayer is evidenced by he fills the Mm. temple. Mm -hmm. So God is ratifying that prayer, agreeing with that prayer as like, I accept this and fill it. And that prayer is when they face this place, even if they're in a faraway land, even if they're a foreigner, when they face this place and pray, hear from heaven their prayer. And, you know, one of the things is 
well, yeah. There's another thing I think it's in Ezekiel where they're praying in a different direction. Like they've turned their I back. Did. I talked okay. about that. Okay, yeah. I missed that. I did. I talked about that. So, a, so another, the direction matters. And, and why? Why Jerusalem? Why does it matter? Because he says it, he says it in there. He says, because this is where you choose to put your name. Yeah. And as, we've been, as I've been studying the tabernacle, and especially in Ezekiel, Ezekiel's the key to yeah. unlocking all of this. Because in Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to draw my people back because they've desecrated my name, and I'm going to bring them back to bring glory to my name. It's always, always about his name, mm-hmm. and his name is here. Yeah, it's his place. It's here, and that is so significant um, we went, I wanted you to tell about your, the, the thing in Arad. Okay. Yeah. So when we were, when we were there, um, one of the places we visited was, uh, uh ruins, the Canaanite ruins in a, in a city called Arad. Um, it's some in part, as part of Israel's conquest, they came and destroyed the Canaanite city and they built a citadel up on the hill there. It's a really cool archaeological site. We got some great pictures because you can just be on the top of the hill and see the outline of the city. The wall's still yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, you can see sections where houses were. It's just a really cool archaeological site that almost no one goes to. The two times I've been, nobody else was yeah. there but us. We had the run of the place. Um, but... I remember going there and on our way there, you were saying to me, oh, last year, this is the most meaningful place. It is. It was. You know, at this site, they have a replica of the temple. So at the Citadel in Arad, uh, you come up on these platforms and, and you look down and they've got the Holy of Holies, the Ark, the altar, like plaques, like you would see at a, um, a museum. And so what happened is the people had built in the city of Arad a replica of the temple in Jerusalem. And in fact, some of the dimensions, I think... It's it, scale, it, which is a huge... One of the more significant parts of it is that there isn't any archaeological finds of the temple because it was completely destroyed. All the temples have been completely destroyed. And so we had scriptural reference. This was archaeological reference to a scale. The altar was the same size, but the building was a scale to the temple. Like one-fifth or something, if I remember. So it's like when the archaeologists found this, and it was so significant because it was filled in with sand, and so it was easy. It was so well-preserved and easy to excavate because it was just filled in with sand. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we so we go there, and and the David's talking about the teaching that the the gentleman gave in the prior year was just about how these peoples their desire to be close to God. They had such a strong desire to be close to God, and to walk for us in a bus it wasn't that far, but to walk to Jerusalem would have would have been a at least a day, maybe two day journey. I don't know. Um, was a long ways, and so they they wanted to have this constant access to God and to be close to God. So they built this the temple, a replica of the temple here. And so they've got the, the priest and the altar and the Holy of Holies and all this stuff, stuff going on. It was just super meaningful about our desire to serve God. Well, so we get there <laughs> and that guy's not doing the teaching this time. He just does the history of the place. And then the, the other gentleman does the teaching and just flip that completely upside down. Uh, I remember him at one point saying, if it was up to me, I'd go down there right now and destroy all of that. Yeah, so we stood up and looked down in. The year before we went in, I think I have a picture of like us by the altar or on the altar, in the holy, there's like a little holy of holies. They got 
even like the stone tablets they uncovered were in there. Like they made copies of the mm. Ten Commandments and put them in there. Um, so you just walked around all in there. I remember saying, I feel weird being in the Holy of Holies. <laughs> yeah. This year we're like stopped up at the top. You wouldn't go in. Wouldn't go in and didn't even really want to. He wanted us to see that it was down there, but that was it. Like we're going to turn our backs on it and we're going to not draw any benefit from this. Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, part he, his statement was, if I would knock it over, it's because of that that this place is in ruins. It's because of that that my people have suffered for thousands of years. It's because of that that Jewish babies were smashed on the rocks. And the whole teaching that it just was, we were all just kind of like, wait, what? The whole teaching was, it does not matter what we think or what we feel about our service and our worship to God. It matters what does he say about it. And God was very clear in the scripture. You will only do this in the place I put my name. Only in the place I put my name. And that name was not a rod. At least none of my studies no. have found that it's a rod. And so the people had, had veered, had, had, had wandered, had, uh, it's too far, let's make it's it too convenient. Hard. It's, it's too, too hard. hard to do that. It, let's make it convenient. But the idea of creating how I, how I think to worship God and how I feel about worshiping God. And I remember for me, that was, the, that was a, a, the pivotal moment of the trip to Israel to recognize, oof, it's not about what I think mm-hmm. or what I feel. And I, I, don't, I came away from that feeling somewhat naked in my understanding of the scripture. You know, I talked earlier about not feeling like I knew enough to go down there, and I didn't. And that Arad taught me everything I think I know. I remember like, all right, I'm gonna capture every reaction, every thought, every Bible thing, every religious thing that comes through my mind to see, can I back that up? Can I tie that back to scripture? Can I show where that's what God has said? Or is that what I've just heard from someone who heard from somebody who's heard from somebody? And I, there was so little that I could actually anchor in what God said. And there was so much about what I believed and what I was doing that was based on a replica. That was, I could go on for an hour, but that was. Yeah, and I think for me, First off, I was frustrated that we didn't get to go down in there because I wanted you to experience that. You know what I mean? Like it was a, it was so cool to be down in there and just be like, this is what it would have been like, you know. And then we're like not even getting to go down there. Um, so I was a little frustrated, and I had to think about that. And then as I thought about it some more, it's like they, the people. So it was during prior to Hez, the reign of Hezekiah. They had built this because they didn't want to go up. But when Hezekiah became king, Hezekiah was one of the, there were only a few righteous kings of Judah. And he was one of the righteous ones and says, we're tearing down all the other places of worship, all the high places, all the altars, all this. And you are to come. We're going to do what God says. We found the book of the law and we're going to do do what God says. And you're going to come to Jerusalem to worship. And so the people in Arad were like, I don't, I'm so attached. Yeah. I'm so attached to my replica. Yeah. To my false religion that I don't want to destroy it because they were commanded to destroy it. So they filled it in with sand because 
we don't know how long Hezekiah's going to be king, and as soon as he's not king, we can dig it up. So I'm so, uh, that's the struggle. That's the struggle, like, as I began the journey of studying all of this, is like, like you said, everything that I know. Yeah. How much of it is a, is a tradition or is a replica? Right. And how much of it is something that I'm like, am I willing to destroy it? Yeah. Or so that I can do what God says? Or am I just going to pretend and save it just in case I need it again? Yeah. It's such a difficult thing. It is. And you know, there were probably people, and, and, and maybe even the original tent, although I suspect not, but there are probably people associated with that, that desecration really in Iran um, that genuinely thought they were worshiping God mm-hmm. in some of these practices, right? right? Probably, probably genuinely most, did. Probably most of them. Probably most of them. And, and you know, God is judged alone. So I'm not, I'm not judging where they fall on that line and how God would deal with them in that space. But that was the thing for me too, is, is recognizing like, man, there are things where maybe I think I'm worshiping God. <laughs> like it's a, it's a holy thing for me. Mm-hmm. This is this is a holy connected thing to for me to God, and yet nowhere here. Yeah. It's like not here. Yeah. Um, and so I ha- I had struggles with some of those things because they're they were so anchored into my understanding of belief and practice and worship of God and theology and doctrine and tradition, it was just so deep in and felt like it had feeling connected to it, you know? And for me, recognizing some of those things and slowly maybe they were, maybe the, I don't know what the analogy with the sand or whatever, but like going down in there and instead of being like, ah, this is the Holy, kicking it over, Mm -hmm. kicking it over and saying, no, this, if God says, this is how you are to worship me and this is how you're not to worship me and this thing isn't, it falls outside of that. Like I can't, it, it, I remember the first year, it doesn't matter what I think or what I feel. What does God say? What does God say? What does yeah. God say? Yeah. And when we think about like, just going back to like Solomon, the dedication of the temple, it's like, you can't be, the, it's not in a rod because God is not in a rod. God is not in a rod. He is, but he isn't. Yeah. God is in this specific space, this specific place. This is where I choose to put my name. And there is blessing. My desire, God's desire is to be with his people. His desire is to be with his people. Yeah. God's desire to dwell with us, God's desire to connect with us, God's desire to be with us um, overrides, overrides everything else. You can feel it in the land of Israel. You can feel it in the city of Jerusalem. If you ever have the blessed opportunity to put your hand on that stone of the Western Wall and to say your own prayers there, you will feel the closeness and connection to God. But I think what's awesome in Solomon's prayer is like when they're far away, mm-hmm. when we have not got it right, mm-hmm. when we didn't do the thing that you said to do, when we are conquered, when we're in another nation, when we're forced to serve other gods, when we're a foreigner, when we're all of these things, if they will turn, mm-hmm. 
and they will fit and they will call out to your dwelling place then god hear from heaven yeah and the holiness of the land can be tapped into right where you are now right where we are here the holiness of the land the holiness of god's hearing god's eyes on that place can be tapped into no matter where you are in the globe even if you're in oregon can be tapped into by facing towards that place zion where the king reigns and calling out to him so even if we've built our rods even if we haven't knocked over you know the the ruins even if we filled it in with sand so that someday we can dig it out even if it's like really hard that thing i felt that some of you felt that when he said some some people are feeling some things like i know that thing in my life i know that thing um is it's not beyond turning towards god and calling out so let's just do that find your East, where's our east? Not necessarily east. Not east Jerusalem. Find Jerusalem. <laughs> we don't pray to the east. We pray toward the place where God chooses to put his name. Yep. As an earthly physical representation of a spiritual reality. Yeah. So find that space as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the ability for your Holy Spirit to come and move for you to be able to sift and sort through the words we've spoken and to push upon our hearts and impress on us your deepest desire to dwell with us. Mm -hmm. Your overwhelming love for who we are as your people and your deep desire for us to be holy people mm -hmm. who reflect you, who symbolize your name. So I just pray, God, that if there are things that have been impressed upon us, you would give us the deep desire, the strength, the community necessary for us to destroy our false forms of worship and to make the journey toward Jerusalem, toward your face, toward the place that you choose to call your name. Whatever those things might be in our life, God, I pray that you would help us, however hard it might be, to move towards you. And for those of us, for us, each and every one of us, uh, if there's a blindness in our lives toward to something that is not of you or is not your greatest desire, I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Whole Testament. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so share the show with your friends and family. Be sure to leave a rating and review. We're also now on YouTube, so smash that like button. You can also find all our episodes on the website at thewholetestament.com. We'll see you next time.